authors who think that they need to be perfect to their people. Um, they're wrong. And, uh, you know, I want you to know, I'm tired a lot. I'm tired a lot. And uh, I think that God is really teaching me how to find a Sabbath rest in the middle of all this insanity. Um, I'm serving the church here, and I'm working full-time in Clarence. And uh, my wife and I also, we're almost done. Uh, we've been helping teach a marriage class in North Tonawanda, well, Tonawanda, um, on Sunday nights. And uh, we've been really stretched. So I want to take you to Deuteronomy 5. I think uh, we usually ignore Deuteronomy in church. So I'm trying to give it some love. Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 to 15. Now, we just read Genesis, right, where God rested from his work, right, and he declared the Sabbath day holy. So Deuteronomy 5, 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates or your male servant or your female servant may rest with you as well. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. You know, what's interesting about many of the laws of the Old Testament is that they call back to what Israel used to be. They often will say, for used to be slaves in Egypt, used to be this, used to be that, but now God has rescued you from where you were. You used to be this way, but God has changed the state of affairs of your life, and so now we're going to live this way. How many know it's hard to decide to take a rest? Right? You've got a laundry list of stuff to do. A bajillion things. For some people, that's not an exaggeration. And you say to yourself, if I don't get this done today, the whole sky will fall on my head tomorrow. Right? That's not an exaggeration, right? That's what we're really thinking. So, at work, I'm a, I inspect arcade games at work for a living. It's kind of a fun way to make a dollar some of the time. And uh, what's funny is, when I was sick and I couldn't come into work, guess what happened? Nothing. Right. 
My boss texted me a couple times because he like he didn't understand something that I did. But the game still shipped. Stuff still got done. The whole company didn't fall. Now, look, there's only five quality control inspectors. All right, there's only five of us. I'm responsible for like 30% of the product that leaves the building. Guess what? That 30% of the product still left the building. Sometimes we convince ourselves that we're more important than we really are. And then we say, well, you know, I'm not really a prideful person. But if I'm not here at this moment, everything will die. Well, that's a frightful thing to think, isn't it? Jump with me to Matthew 12. It's a big jump. Not only in pages, but also in years. Matthew 12. Matthew 12, 1 to 8. Now, we'll just read it. I talk too much. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, now we know the Pharisees were, right? They had no, they had no actual authority. Right? They weren't like a governing body. They were a pressure group filled with uh, socially very well-respected individuals. They were religious people. Okay? Very well-respected religious people. Everyone listened to them. So the Pharisees saw it, and they said to them, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, and again, he goes to Scripture. Okay? I love this. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? and those who were with them. Well, no, Jesus, we have it, so let's do that. Go back with me. We're jumping again, I'm sorry. No, I'm not. What am I talking about? First Samuel. First Samuel. Chapter 20. I'm sorry, chapter 21. I'm sorry, just bear with me. I keep saying that. I'm not really sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, see, I'm... I, I'm way too free with that word. I'm not actually sorry. Um, 1 Samuel 21. Okay. I'm sure this time. So let's, this is just a few verses, all right? So we're just going to read with, with David. Because Jesus is like, have you not read? We're like, no, we haven't read that, so we should read it. Okay, so 1 Samuel 21. Then David came to Nob. That's where the uh, high priests are hanging out with the altar and the the Ark of the Covenant. There's no temple at this time, okay? David is running from Saul because Saul wants to kill him because he's crazy. Um, really is crazy. And Abimelech came to meet David trembling. Abimelech's the high priest. Saying, why are you alone and no one is with you? And David said to Abimelech the priest, the king has charged me with a matter and said to me, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you, which is actually not true. The king wants to kill him. That's the matter he's charged him with. Um, I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, do you have any food on him? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, Well, I have no common bread in hand, 
but then there is the holy bread. Now that's the holy bread that they keep inside of the holy place where you don't mess with that, okay? It's holy bread. Well, the priest says, I have the holy bread. And so David's like, yeah, I'll take that. And so the priest gives David the holy bread, right? If the young man have not have kept themselves from women, uh, you can have the holy bread. So I want to go back to Matthew 12. So, so Jesus is calling on this story about David. And David is on urgent, he's on an urgent thing, all right? David's been anointed king. He's running for his life, okay? So he comes to Nob and they need food because they're on this urgent thing. And so the high priest offers the holy bread. The high priest offers the holy bread. David doesn't ask. The high priest offers it to him. Okay? Now this is like big deal. Big deal. You'll notice, by the way, Jesus still hasn't answered the priest, the uh, Pharisees' question. It's like a thing with God. He doesn't like to answer our questions. So, let's keep reading now. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? Well, yes, now we have. How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, or nor those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Do you get what he means by that? If the Sabbath says you don't do work, well, what do priests do on the Sabbath? They work. They do stuff. So every day, the most important religious figures in, Jew in the Jewish nation break the Sabbath, technically, by doing work in the temple. Right. So Jesus is calling them out on that. Like, okay, you're really going to give me a hard time about plucking heads of grain while we're walking through the field. Like, that's crazy. I tell you, Something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, when we talk about this, a lot of times we get wrapped, we get distracted by the whole, oh, silly Pharisees, you're so legalistic, and so, of course, Sabbath is made for the man and not man for the Sabbath. And, you know, you should. Uh, it's crazy to give Jesus a hard time about plucking heads of grain. And we get distracted and we just go after that. And we miss these other things. You see, Jesus isn't saying necessarily that. He's rooting what he's doing in himself. Notice what he says. Something greater than the temple is here. Yeah. Notice what he says. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. But do you not know what this means? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He's rooting what he's saying to the Pharisees, his correction, in himself and why he's here. Okay? He's comparing himself to David. This is big stuff. You don't go around comparing yourself to David. Okay? It's like a big no-no. It's like comparing yourself to Moses. It's not allowed. Okay, Jesus does that and he compares himself to Moses and Abraham and everyone else. So Jesus compares himself to David and says something greater than the temple is here. By the way, those people walk around saying Jesus, you know, never said he was God, blah, 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 blah. They're not reading carefully enough. Okay? 
Jesus says something greater than the temple is here. When he says the Son of Man, turn with me again. I would apologize, but it wouldn't be sincere. Find Daniel. All right, I'm sorry. Is that a, is that a good attempt? I'll have to write it down because it's not sincere, so I can just read it. Daniel 7. You see, most of the time, when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, he's this is not like a phrase that he made up out of the air. Okay, he'd just be like, hmm, I need a brand. What should I call myself? Now, everyone's calling himself the Son of God. You got Tiberius walking around, I'm the Son of God. So, you know, I just need something I, I know, Son of Man. It'll make a great movie headline. It's not it. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. This is a vision Daniel has. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. When Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, he's thinking of that verse, of that phrase in Daniel 7. People who think Jesus isn't walking around calling himself, like, behaving like God, they're not reading carefully enough. Jesus roots his correction of the Pharisees not in, oh, you're just legalistic, crazy people. There was some of that. He's rooting it in himself. Saying the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He's changing the terms of the conversation. This is what we do when we follow Christ. We change the terms of the conversation. We redefine our lives around Jesus. Jesus, this is, by the way, the re one of the reasons why the Gospels exist. I mean, really, a lot the way the Gospels preach a lot of times, you could just have Jesus show up, right? He walks straight from wherever he appears, straight to the cross, gets on the cross, somebody kills him, he rises from the dead. That's it. A lot of times we treat the gospel, that's just how it is. He was born, he lived for a little bit, he died for my sin, he rose from the dead, okay, that's it. But what about all the stuff in between? <laughs> right. The stuff in between tells us what Jesus thinks he was doing when he got on that cross. This is one of the things he's doing. He's redefining all of these things around himself. He's redefining God, what people thought about God. He's being the face of God to the people. He's redefining lordship and leadership to his people. He's redefining what it means to be the Messiah, the anointed one, to his people. He's changing the terms of the conversation and he's redefining it around himself. Now, unless he's deserving of that, that's super arrogant. Right? We should not listen to this guy. But if he is who he says he is, well, then it's genius. You'll notice that Jesus didn't prohibit his disciples once they were confronted so that he wouldn't offend the Pharisees. You'll notice Jesus spent a lot of time with his disciples. You see, Jesus 
wasn't above the need for friendship. How many of you know good friends go a long way? Part of finding rest, finding rest in times when we're stressed out and we got stuff going on, is we need friends. We need people that are close to us. Because, let's face it, right? I mean, our parents taught us a lot of times that if you just have good grades and you make all good decisions, that magically your life will be great. Right, yeah, we're all laughing because we've all heard that and it's total nonsense. Right. We do that a lot because we want our kids to get good grades and we want them to have good decisions. But, right, I mean, it turns out what happens even if you make all your decisions and all your decisions are perfect and none of them might have not been. But even if all your decisions were perfect, stuff still happens. Right? Your Sabbath isn't in, oh, I make the decisions. Because first of all, half of us don't anyway. And the other half are delusional. Sorry, that was me. It's true. And even if we made all good decisions, we can't control the world around us anyway. Right? We can choose to vote for so-and-so. I'm not going to use names here. We're going to choose to vote for so-and-so because they are the savior of the United States, which is total nonsense. And then... But then another person over here is going to vote for the other so-and-so and cancel out your vote. Just saying. Where is your Sabbath? Where is your rest? So we're going to start with friendship. One of my favorite hours of my week is the hour I spent, well, hour and a half I spent with Steve Jambardino on Tuesdays. How many know Steve Jambardino? Okay, if you don't, you should get to know him because he's fantastic. Seriously, he is a great dude. He's got great hair right now. I don't know if you noticed. I'm a little jealous. I cannot do that with my hair. He looks great. <laughs> Emily's shaking her head at me. <laughs> she wouldn't even let me try anyway. No. But uh, Steve is one of the, he's one of the five best men I know. He's a really, really good man. And uh, he is as close to me as a brother. He's like the brother I never had. His brother, John Mark, is the other super close friend of mine. The two of them um, have influence on me. They, they, uh, they speak life into me. When I spend time with them, I feel lighter than I did when I got started. And I don't feel judged by being who I am. A lot of times, a lot of times I'll stand around and talk about the Bills or the Sabres or the recent movies. You know, most of the time, that's because I'm afraid to go where I really want to go, the conversation, which is, you know, let's talk about quantum physics and philosophy and chemistry and the recent psychological journal I read the other day that was really interesting. Why? Because most of the time I can just almost feel the person like start to snore inside their head when we start talking. So a lot of times, you know, or you can't go politics anymore because it turns into like a pseudo fist fight. So... I usually just stay on the surface. A lot of times I stay on those surface places, comic books, those things, because, not because they're really amazing and they deserve a lot of my attention, but because I'm a little nervous to go deeper. So Steve and John Mark, I can go right from how you're doing to let's talk about the secrets of the universe in like 15 seconds. It's fantastic. 
right? And they don't judge me for that. Because they think I'm a weirdo. Everyone needs people who are close to you, who know you, but who still love you. Who love you as much as you love yourself. Because that's how the love of God is illustrated to us. There's nothing as good as being fully known and fully loved. Nothing as good as that. You can't find true Sabbath rest if you have to put on a face to everyone around you. Because you're never really yourself. Close friends make the difference. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, how many people did he bring with him? Yeah, just two or three, right. When he was being transfigured on the mountain, so like whose true self was being shown, how many people saw that? Yeah, two or three, right. You know, uh, there's some interesting, there, there's one in, in the Gospel of Mark, but there's plenty of others, where Jesus will say something that's really cryptic to the crowds, okay? And it's, it's too volatile for them to hear right now. So he says it really cryptically, and then he takes his disciples, those guys who know him, he takes them inside into his in, inside, and then he explains to them what he means. Because they know. He knows they're not going to try to stone him for what he just said. Yeah. We all need someone who's not going to mentally stone us for saying what's in our head. Because sometimes we just need to get it out there. Right. I was listening to, uh, I was watching a TV show, and this guy, he said, you know, when I was a kid, it really hurt my feelings because this dog, he ran away. I had a dog, and he just ran away. And I thought, you know, he's like, well, why, why did it hurt you so much? And his response was, well, I thought maybe he just decided he didn't like me anymore, and he wanted to go play with another kid. And as soon as he said it, he realized how dumb it was. But it hurt him. And then he, and then the next thing out of his mouth, well, that's really silly. You know, I just needed to say it. We need that. We need people who will not stone us for saying, you know, I'm tired of God. I'm just tired. I'm angry. I need prayer. I need something. But even your friends, your closest friends, by themselves are not enough. When Jesus was arrested, his friends ran. They hid. The guy who shouted that he would die next to, next to Jesus denied him three times. Even your close friends will hurt you, as I'm sure some of you know. Sometimes they can hurt you more than anyone else. So where do we find our rest? Go with me to Matthew 11. If we could start that air conditioner again, that would be cool. I'm starting to feel it. I can see some folks in the seats starting to feel it. Matthew 11, just above where we were in 12, 28 to 30. Now, I'm going to read this, and then we're going to go somewhere else. If you could turn, I don't, if you could risk turning my mic up just a smidgen. Okay. Verse 28, come to me, 
all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, jump with me again. I'm not even going to bother with an apology. To Isaiah 55. Tell me, now, we're going to read this, and just tell me if this doesn't sound familiar to you. Okay. My dad's nodding his head and smiling over there. It's one of his favorite verses. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Come to me. The echo. The echo. There's an echo in here, isn't there now? Sorry. It's the air conditioner's fault. No, I'm not. Matthew twenty Matthew eleven, twenty eight through thirty. Jesus is echoing the words of God in Isaiah 55. By the way, this is all over the Gospels. You want to learn the heart of God? Start looking for these little pieces of the prophets and the Old Testament in the New Testament. It's remarkable. Jesus says, come rest in me. Your friends can get you kind of far, but they can't get you all the way. Come rest in me. When we do that, we begin to find that Jesus is always there, no matter what. In good times and in bad. A lot of times with people, you don't exist unless you're up in front of people like this, for you're good at what you do. All of a sudden, then people want to know who you are. Right? Like the Buffalo Bills. Okay? Most of the country doesn't care who the Buffalo Bills are. Why? Because they're not any good. Hey, whatever. I've been a Bills fan for a long time. I I was just conscious enough to know what, what it meant for the Bills to lose the Super Bowls. So, if the Bills get good again, everyone and their mother will care about the Bills. Right? Like, what Kyle Williams ate for breakfast will be on morning news. Like, oh, wow, that was really a great breakfast. Why? Because the Bills are good. So therefore, he's relevant. How about the Seahawks? How many Seahawks fans were there like six years ago? What, like three? Yeah, one. And he lived in Seattle. Right. He didn't live here. Right. And for humans, you don't exist. Unless you have something to offer them. But Jesus comes as the God who gives and blesses. Who has something to offer you. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Get on your knees and pray and cast your cares on me. Trust me. My solutions aren't as fast as you think they should be. But that's because I'm smarter than you. That's what Jesus is saying. He doesn't say it, but that's obviously what it means. 
I know more than you. Trust me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. When we begin to trust Jesus, things like this happen. I'm sure many of you know Psalm 23. If you don't, turn there with me. I love this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table. Listen, this is crazy. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. To rest in God is to eat at the table of God while surrounded by people who hate you. What my new favorite section of scripture, I don't know how long it'll last, is Mark 10, 35 through 45. I have a new one like every couple of months. And in that section, right, James and John ask Jesus to sit at his right and his left hand when he comes in his kingdom. And Jesus says, well, that's already been given to someone else. Okay, do you know who the someone else's were? Take a guess. Holy Spirit. Who else? Who else got an idea? Jesus, who else got an idea? <clears throat> it's the two thieves who are on the cross next to him. Yeah. Jesus came into his kingdom on the cross. He turns the cross into a throne. And the two guys who got to sit at his right and his left were the two guys who were crucified next to him. When your Sabbath rest is in God, you can stand in the midst of people who hate you. And you can love them back. But we can only get there by being willing to lay all our cares on Christ. By being willing to understand we're not as important as we think we are. Jesus loves us dearly. He made us to reflect His image on the world. But the world doesn't rise or set, doesn't stop or start with your breath. Thank God. Certainly for me. I can't imagine what I would do with any real power over the world. It would be a terrible thing. We all like to think we're good people. Okay, hand you, hand you God's power. We'll be Bruce Almighty in it all day. Yeah. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. When we rest in God, we can say with the psalmist, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I can be at peace in the middle of the storm. I can be at peace while I'm being crucified. That takes us to Paul. Turn with me to Philippians. This will probably be the last place I take you. For those of you desperately fighting off sleep. 
Philippians 4. Start with verse 10. Now Paul, by this point, he's in prison, by the way, when he's writing this. Verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. A lot of times you'll see po folks uh, post that verse on Facebook, you know, next to some guy lifting weights or something. And while that's nice, it's out of context. Paul's talking about being content no matter what. Now, this isn't whistling in the dark, right? We're not pretending that everything is fine. Like, uh, I don't know, some of you may have seen this movie or not, but uh, there's this guy, it's a really funny movie, and there, he's, he meets up with this guy called the Black Knight. He's riding around, he's trying to get across a bridge, and he meets this guy called the Black Knight, and so here's sword fighting, and he hits the Black Knight, and he, the Black Knight's arm falls off. And you're like, oh man, this fight's over. And uh, the Black Knight goes, that was only a flesh wound. How about you? And then he, you know, he fights some more, and he cuts the other arm off. And so the Black Knight is just pretending that nothing is wrong. So the guy gets down on his knee and thanks God for his victory, which whatever that's about. And uh, all of a sudden, the Black Knight kicks him in the head. He won't give up. Right. The guy's delusional. His arms are missing. He's like, oh, this is okay. It's no big deal. The guy's still, like he thought he fought the main character to a draw. The guy had no arms or legs. He's sitting on the ground with no arms or legs. He's like, oh, I guess we'll call this a draw. Delusional. We're not talking about that. Life can be hard. Life can be painful. David doesn't say in the psalm, you prepare a place for me among my enemies who I'm going to pretend are my friends. Jesus doesn't pretend that the people who crucified him are really his friends and that everything is fine. He says in the garden, is there another way? But Jesus looks in the eyes of his executioners and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is Sabbath rest. Our Sabbath rest is in the Lord. So I want to encourage you. Look, this is just as much for me as it is for you. Because I feel really tired right now. And I want to go home and curl up and go to bed. But I want to encourage you and challenge you. 
Find a moment in your time and all of that insanity to do something that gives you life. Find a pocket of time. I just was t- talking with somebody and uh, said, you know what, you need a so-and-so pocket. Just a pocket of time that's just yours. Where you do what gives you life. And in that pocket, stick meeting, meeting up with some of those close friends of yours. People that give you life. And through your week, pray and praise God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That is a name. Who names their kid Abednego? Anyway, sorry. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right? They won't won't worship the idol that the Babylonian king makes. She's like, all right, well, I'm just going to throw you in this furnace and you're going to die and it's going to be terrible. And the three of them say, you know what? God can save us from that fire. But even if he doesn't, I will praise him anyway. You want to find Sabbath rest? Praise God even when your life stinks. Praise him especially when your life stinks. A few years ago I got fired. Uh, I was a manager at a GameStop in Buffalo. And I wasn't that good a manager. I was terrible with the backside, like the numbers and paperwork stuff. Not very good with it. That got me fired. And on my way out, my boss is crying because she liked me. She liked how I was with people. But she had to fire me because I was bad. On my way out, it's just the truth. On my way out, I couldn't help but smile and thank God because I didn't really like it there anyway. And so that actually was a blessing. That turned into me interning at New Covenant. That turned into me being here. But I was fired. I lost my job. I was making okay money. But I praised God all the way. I praised God all the way to interning at the church. It was a blessing. Find a way to praise God no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. Because only in that can we release ourselves from all this stuff that seems so wrong. So let's pray. And then we're going to move into communion. Okay? Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us, that you have not abandoned us, but that you have come to be a part of our lives that you've come to be a part of our pain, of our joy. You've come to cry with us. You've come to rejoice with us. God, teach us to praise you no matter what. Teach us to lift our voice no matter what. Not because we put on a mask that says everything is fine, but because we say, even though life will slay me, yet I will praise Him. God, we want to thank You for all that You've done in us and all that You continue to do, that You would anoint our steps as we move into the next part of the service. In Your name, Amen.